He kōna e pūrangi tēnei nā te reo irirangi o Aotearoa. Battlefields and noisy places. First there is the slow rumble of logging trucks on busy roads. Then there is the drone of aeroplanes passing overhead. In summer there are cicadas and birds, in winter the hiss of wind in the trees. In these fields the tūpuna lie where they fell in the swamps, or in unmarked graves hastily dug by survivors, with the dead piled up around them. I swear I can sometimes hear their voices. Dr. Joanna Kidman, no Nazi Maniapoto, Nazi Raukawa, is a sociologist. She writes about the colonial history of Aotearoa and the impact of the New Zealand wars. In her work as a researcher, she has travelled the country, guided by local tangata whenua, to find out more about the experiences, the trauma caused by war and conflict. Coming up, Dr Joanna Kidman talks about her work, her background and her ongoing support to ensure that colonial history is taught within the education system. Uh, ko Pirongia te maunga, ko Waipatiawa, ko Tainui te waka, ko Ngati Maniapoto te iwi, ko Ngati Paurahui te, te hapu, ko Hiona te marae, uh, nō ahai, ko Joanna Kidman tōku ingoa. No reira, tēnā koutou, tēnā koutou, tēnā koutou katoa. E akurauranga tirama, me huri mai ki ngā kōrero e haere ake nei. This is Te Ahika on RNZ National. Ko Justine Murray, ahau. In this series, I've joined Māori academics who talk about their work in the recently released book Nā Kite Mā Tauranga, Māori Scholars at the Research Interface. But if the research subject is about war, violence, colonial history of death, destruction and conquest, then seeking out truths and bringing to the fore a painful past is difficult. However, it's bringing these stories of injustices to light, Maite Po Kiteo Marama, that ensure that this part of the country's history is not forgotten. Joanna's chapter of the book is aptly named He Taonga Te Wareware, Ma Tauranga Māori and Education. She explains here what she tried to capture in her writing. And I think one of the things about sociology, is, so there's this really famous quote from an American sociologist who um, talks his, and I, I'll try and get it right, he says, it's, it's someone called C. Wright Mills, he says, uh, neither the life of an individual nor the history of a society can be understood without understanding both. So that's one of the things that excites me about sociology. We can look at people's everyday lives and see them in the context of the bigger forces that surround them. So what I was wanting to do with this, um, my contribution to this book was to talk about my research, which takes me into battlefields all around the country. And what we're looking for are how those really big forces of 
war affected the lives of people living in Papakainga in different parts of the country and how that shaped what happened afterwards. So that was the, the contribution that I was making and what I wanted to focus on was the Battle of Orako because I have Raikawa affiliations there um, and so my tupuna I have those links to that particular battle and it's it's one which has shaped me in so many ways. How long have you been doing this type of mahi? The the long answer is, you know, like many Māori, I've been doing it my whole life. The short answer is that at the moment I've been working on a Marsden project with a team of Māori researchers ah, yes. and also um, the treaty historian Vincent O'Malley. And we've been going around the country looking, spending time in battlefields and talking to people who... Have who are carrying some of these these stories through with us, so that's been in recent years. But um, I'm also married to Vincent O'Malley, so we've been together working in these spaces for a really long time. Anyway, in 2016, Dr. Vincent O'Malley, who features on the RNZ video and podcast series New Zealand Wars: Stories of Tainui, published the book The Great War for New Zealand. Waikato 1800 to 2000. The book provides a historical account of the Waikato War from 1863 to 1864, the rise of the Kingitanga movement, and conflict between Māori and Pākehā. You have a quote in the book that uh, says, All wars are fought twice, the first time on the battlefield, the second time in memory, um, which I thought was really powerful. In the black box of New Zealand history, the past transformed into hapu memory, invariably edges into the present. So when you're doing your research in these areas, Joanna, what's your general approach? Just to sit down and call it all, or how does that work? Researchers had to shift quite a bit because of COVID. And so originally we were going to begin um, in talking with talking to descendants and, and talking to those who are carrying the stories onwards. COVID came and in some ways um, that's been a really interesting shift because it's moved our focus. What we do is we begin with the battlefield. So we are spending huge amount of times at those sites. So what we're doing is spending time with the tupuna and then moving towards those who who have come later who are carrying those stories on with them but um, it has been a massive shift and actually a, a really wonderful shift to spend time on that whenua where these terrible events have, have taken place and to begin with that, to begin with the tūpuna, because many of them are buried in that in those places, and to spend time with them and then to move onwards from that. This excerpt is from the book Nā Tauranga Māori Scholars at the Research Interface. The site at Orako was confiscated by the Crown and reallocated to military settlers. It's long since passed into private ownership, and nothing remains of the papakainga or the peach grove. The surrounding terrain has been extensively excavated for settler farming and agriculture, and it no longer resembles the original landscape. Today there's a plaque that marks the battle in a narrow parking area, and a small monument on a shallow incline beside the busy road that runs through the presumed location of the path. 
but that is all. So you write about the impact of war on Māori, <coughs> excuse me, and the introduction of the native school system both had a lasting detrimental impact. Can you discuss these different tools? Education is one of them, of course, colonisation and the impact upon upon Māori. The wars came first, so in which is you know the usual um, history of of colonisation. So you had massive military force, you had invasion of Māori communities, who many of whom experienced wave after wave after wave of violence. So you had these massive invading armies, and Māori were often very heavily outnumbered. So. In a lot of districts, there were land confiscations, so people were separated from their ancestral lands. And during that era, whole communities were on the move. So people in many parts of New Zealand, and particularly around the North Island, became diasporic. And these were people who had absolutely lost everything. But the wars weren't just about acquiring land and resources for the crown. So people often call them land wars and the land and resources were extremely important and that was you know what what was wanted. But if that was it, then the killing could have actually stopped once the land had been acquired. But it didn't. It just kept on going. So in the end, and others have said this, the, the, the wars, which you know many people now refer to as the New Zealand wars, it was really about whose version of the treaty would prevail. So that was the, the one stage of um, colonisation in New Zealand. It was these heavily militarised societies that emerged um, through the 1840s and, and beyond. But you can't go on fighting forever and ever and ever. And what happened here in New Zealand was that there was a, a system that was set up after the fighting, the, the military um, manoeuvres had stopped. And the Crown started setting up its own institutions. And one of those was the native school system. So the first, that went into legislation three years after the battle at Oraco. And it, what it did was it established a separate schooling system. So from 1867, um, for you know just over another 100 years, to, eight, to 1969, so it was only 50 years ago that our separate schooling system was, was closed off, you had this new way of engaging with Māori communities and it had been tried in other parts of the British Empire. It was called an indirect rule and what it was was a less military way of engaging with Māori and, and with the schooling system, children were the main focus. So you bring them into schools, Māori wasn't spoken from the 20th century onwards. Um, and the purpose in many ways, um, James Balich has talked about turning these, these people into brown Britons. But there was never an equal playing field for Māori. Māori were never going to engage or enter Pākehā society in, at the same level or in the same way as the settlers. So it was always going to be very unequal. Yeah, which is what I think you touch on in your um, in your writing. Jobs were then designed for Māori children to be labourers and domestic you know, people workers, to work, yeah. domestic workers. Wives. So all wi- yeah, wives. <laughs> the native school structure was kind of designed to 
put you know Māori children into these kind of jobs for their future. They didn't they didn't see them as future doctors. That's or... right. The, the, and and in fact, there was there was um, fairly strict rules around what could be taught in the native schools, which were later called the Māori schools. And it was not an academic curriculum. It was, the purpose was um, to keep Māori children in fairly manual labouring kinds of environments. Too often, well-intentioned attempts to build mātauranga Māori into school and university curricula have been less than successful. These ancient and vibrant forms of knowledge become dead objects, something to be measured or packaged into modules or created for a test score. All this needs to change if the curriculum is to expand in new ways. It's time for the birds to sing again, so open the window, let in the light. These stories will outlive us. Hokainga died in battle with so much that was left unsaid. Reclaiming those interrupted uh, conversations is central to my research as a sociologist of education, but it is also how I call to my tipuna. So what did you kind of mean by this? I think when the wars came, that it interrupted Māori lives in so many ways, and so there have been a lot of silences about what happened during the wars and one of the things that, that we're wanting to do is to break some of those silences so that the dead can speak and so for us as researchers it's we are listening for um, for the tupuna. We want to listen to their stories, and there are lots of different ways that that we can do this. We can, you know, the, those stories are there in Fakairo and Motiatia and uh, Fakatoki and Waiata. Uh, we can listen to the stories that are told on on Marae, at Tangi, at Hui, uh, at Wananga. And the other thing that we can do is we can go to the battle sites themselves. And that's been interesting because the land holds on to those stories of battle. They hold on to, you know, what the tupuna went through and what happened for them. So you, when you go to the battle sites, you can quite often see the furrows and the scars of, of battle. So you can often see the earthworks, the saps, the rifle pits. And so places like uh, Peka Peka in, in in the north is a really obvious example of how the land bears testimony to what's happened in this past. So it's not just in, in Ruapekapeka in the north. There are battlefields across the country where you can see, um, basically you can see the line of fire. It's also about our, our responsibility to, to, the, to our tūpuna. It's, it's to recognise the legacy that they've left for us, um, you know, what they left behind. And in some ways, although these histories are extremely violent um, and very traumatic, for example, the legacy of Orako for me are the words that were spoken in battle. Um, so when death was all around them and they were being called to surrender, the words, Ehoa, Kafafai Tonu Mato, Ake, Ake, Ake. That's the legacy that has been left behind from that battle and it's it's one that I will honour for, for all the days of my life. 
So speaking of kafafaitonu mato akiake, um, in taking that particular kōrero in today's context and I suppose fight to continuing that fight to have these voices heard, the history heard, the announcement that history will be taught in Kura, the Te Pūtaki o Te Riri Fund to kind of mark that conflict around Aotearoa, is that part of those those walls of silence coming down? I think it really is and I think we have been very lucky in Aotearoa that much of this has actually been led by young people who are really crying out for these histories to be told. So Māori have been wanting these histories to be told for a long time and have been passing them on. They haven't generally reached a, a wider public. And people are starting to hear these stories being told. They're wanting more of them. And there's a kind of response of, why didn't we know this? Why didn't we know what had happened you know, in our own backyard. So the Otarahanga College students who were taken to the battlefields and suddenly realised that really big history had happened in their own neighbourhoods and they put together the petition which had a significant influence on you know what happened next because they were calling for those histories to be taught in schools. So I think there's an opening up um, and th- there's a moment that we're in at the moment where where we can begin to um, break some of those silences that have, have kind of been around for a really long time. Joanna grew up in Rotorua. Some of her early memories are spending time at Tamate Kapua Marae. Her father was a teacher and the family moved to Wellington in 1970, where she lives today. Although she travels to Rotorua now and again, it's the king country and the Waikato region where most of her research is based. Now, In the book, she writes that her original career plan was to become a lawyer. Back then, Joanna was a single young mother. And at the time, studying sociology was more convenient. For me, going into sociology was was really kind of an accidental career in lots of ways. I thought that it might be really cool to be a lawyer, um, but it was just the the lecture hours didn't work out terribly well for me. And so That's I, right, yes. Yeah, so I ended up in education, and that was partly because the the times of, of the lectures worked out with my childcare, and so it was a completely accidental sort of thing. And I think a lot of people of my generation, you know, I didn't, start off wanting to be a sociologist you know people don't start off thinking I want to be a sociologist when I grow up so I did go into law but it just didn't work I ended up in education um, but education is a multidisciplinary field so there are lots and lots of subfields so you can do sociology of education history of education psychology philosophy um, so I had sort of a smattering of all of these. I went to the Australian National University to do my PhD. There was no education department there, so I had a choice between sociology and philosophy, and I ended up in sociology. So I wanted to talk to you about, um, you know, your role as a sociologist, um, Joanna, um, you know, dealing with the impact and the the hurt, the pain, the mamai felt by uh, Māori, Waikato, Tainui Māori, because we're talking about Ora, uh, Ora Ako, um, 
is there a sense of um, here, of for want of a better word, uh, reconciliation or, or pre- moving forward or healing or in that space as well? You know, I really think that there is. Um, what we've found is that some of the stories are just too difficult for Māori to pass on. And so so there have been some generations in some places, not everywhere, where where um, there's just been this kind of silence. Um, and it's partly because people have felt um, a terrible whakamā or because they're not wanting to because the stories are so traumatic, it's violence on steroids, some of it, and so they're mm. not wanting to traumatise younger ones with, with that with that terrible burden. But I think one of the things that um, I see here is that mataranga Māori or mataranga ahapu is a real healing force because what we begin to see is that these very violent stories and very um, devastating stories and histories, when we put them into the context of mataranga Māori, they fit inside a much wider universe so that we get connected to, to bigger histories than simply those of loss and despair in the colonial era. So, for example, um, just recently I was, I've was i just been up in, in the north um, at the sites um, on one of my multiple visits up there and I was talking to a kuya from up that way and she's someone who is very, very highly respected in her community and she said to me, you know, Joanne, and the treaty was signed just across the bay from here and just down the road, Horny Heke chopped down the, the flagstaff. Um, this is the place Captain Cook sailed past these, these waters. But she said to me, you know, these are dates on a calendar and they're really important dates. They really matter. But they're also dates for Pākehā to remember the past. And she said, you know, Joanna, what we must always remember is that we've been here for hundreds of years and we're part of... This is the what happened in the 19th century is part of our story, but it's part of a much bigger story. And I think when we start to contextualise um, the horrors of, of what happened during the wars and see it as part of a, a much longer history that takes us all the way back into the mists of time, then it becomes much, much more um, bearable, really. You talk about travelling uh, to Rotorua up north. Um, what's the what research mahi have you got uh, for the next uh, wee while? Okay, so um, we're heading in the next couple of weeks. We're heading back to Taranaki. That's is such a heartbreaking um, story. I I really struggle to get my head around. Um, what happened in that space. So that that is our immediate next um, place where, where we're returning to. Um, that is 20 years of invasion. So it's it's a very difficult kind of invi- um, situation to be in. From there, we're going to be... We make multiple trips to, to the sites and to the people in, in different areas. So we'll be looking at getting back to the East Coast in the near future. And, of course... For me, you know, we're back and forth to the Waikato King Country all the time. With mahi such as yours, how do you 
maintain your own modi. How do you um, walk away from a battlefield talking about the mama and the hurt and the mm. violence and get yourself into a space where you can kind of come down from that heaviness? We are so very lucky that we have kaumatua around us who work alongside us um, as we, we go through this. So one of um, our really valued people is um, Professor Tom Roa at um, University of Waikato who has been very heavily involved with this project but there are many, many others who ensure that we uh, are safe uh, when we go into the battlefields. They are quite difficult places to be and I think this is something for teachers to think about too because as the new history curriculum gets rolled out there is a huge call to do place-based um, education with these with these stories to take young people to the battle sites but we do have to remember that they're wahitapu oh, and um, you know you have to protect the sites but you also have to protect the people who are going onto those sites so we've heard stories of teachers who have been really enthusiastically taking young people to, to the sites and for it was their first trip um, and they suddenly realised that the Māori students were really, really uncomfortable and mm. didn't want to go onto the site and when when the teacher spoke to them they were like well, you've, sir you've done no karakia there's no water we can't cleanse ourselves afterwards our tūpuna are here and I think teachers, you know, in that rush of enthusiasm to take people to those sites also need to think very carefully about how they protect themselves and each other when they're there. So as a team, we're very, very conscious of this. You know, if you have very, very deep commitments to these, even for Pākehā who have their tūpuna uh, have been involved in these histories you need to deal with it very, very carefully so we take a lot of time um, we are constantly checking in with our team making sure that they're okay there are times when um, you know, I just simply break and that's, that. you know, Oraka is one of those those places you mm. know, I've been there multiple times but I'm fortunate because I have my team around me, I have that support um, we all look after each other really, really well when we're at the site, so that is something I think um, that teachers need to understand that, that these are traumatic histories and people are going to experience them in quite different ways Nei rā te mihi kia koe, Dr. Joanna Kidman. Nō Ngāti Raukawa, Ngāti Maniapoto. Now don't forget you can listen to the podcast and video series New Zealand Wars, Stories of Tainui and of course Stories of Waitara at the podcast and series page at rnz.co.nz. Kua tai ki te mutunga o tēnei hōtaka, tiahi returns next Sunday. In the meantime, enjoy your long Easter weekend. Mai te whānau a tiahi kā kia tātou katoa Māori 2, Māori ora.